Father in heaven, thank you that we are blessed with another day, a day for worship, a Lord's day, a day when we may gather ourselves like this, your holy presence. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up and exalted today. We pray that sinners would look to him and find life and salvation. We pray that your people would be strengthened by his ministry to us as prophet and priest and king. We pray that the Spirit of God would move powerfully in our hearts and may he illuminate the eye of our understanding to see wondrous things in your word and to receive them with grateful hearts. For we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So it was in the fullness of time that God sent his son to be born under the law, to be born of a woman, to redeem those who are fallen and sinful. Many of us have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus. He is our redeemer, our savior. He is our rock, he is our fortress, he is our deliverer. He is our, Hebrews says, friend. He is, he is the door by which we have entered into everlasting life and into the kingdom of God. He is the lamb of God, slain as it were from before the foundation of the earth. Our salvation from our sins is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it is according to his mercy that he saves us, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We who are in Christ are new creatures. All things are new and old things have passed away. And we are walking with him and following him we are his disciples, his learners. He is our teacher, our master, our savior, I'll say again. So this is us. This is the Christian life. But in our passage, we're seeing something about it, and it's this. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. It's not the proverbial cake walk, whatever that means. I looked it up once, and now I forget what that means, but that's the phrase people use. No, we are the church militant. We are the church at war. We Christians are in a battle zone. We're, we're in a battle. We're in the heat of battle. There's a busy devil. There's an adversary. He is our foe. And our passage tells us about him and about our, our needs in view of his powerful presence. We already saw last week that it starts off there in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And now today we're moving on in verse 11 where it says, put on the whole armor of God. So be strong and be armed because as a follower of Christ, you're a soldier. You're in war. You're in battle. It's a dangerous place. Uh, at stake is your never dying soul and the souls of others. So we read verse six, chapter 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the methodia, the methods of the devil, Ephesians 6, 11. Put on. So first be strong, then the second command, the second imperative, the second verb, Put on, be strong, you're a soldier, so let's do some spiritual calisthenics and be strong, and then put on, let's pick up our armor. You don't wanna be a soldier and you're in a firefight and suddenly realize, wait a minute, I forgot my helmet. 
I forgot my Kevlar, I forgot my sidearm, I forgot my, my rifle, I forgot whatever else it is that soldiers need. You don't want to be that. You want to be armed and you want to be strong. So put on, he says, the whole armor. There are various parts. He's going to talk about them. Paul's in, when he's writing this, he's in a prison in Rome. And he's guarded by Roman soldiers, and they're wearing stuff. They've got helmets, they've got breastplates, they've got their feet shod, and so on. And so he looks at the soldier, apparently, and thinks, hmm, I can employ that. Like, I can use that to illustrate some things about the Christian life. And so seeing these soldiers every day, he writes to us about our armor and likens it unto their various pieces of armor. We're the church militant. We gotta be strong by the grace of God. We gotta be armed by the grace of God. So he tells us to put on the whole armor. That's the Greek word panoply. Maybe you've heard that. It's in a famous hymn, the panoply of God. The full armor, put on every bit of it. And then he gives a reason why. Put on the whole armor of God. That, here's a purpose clause, in order that or so that you may be able to stand. He wants you to be able to stand. Stand means not get knocked down. Stand means not get moved away. Stand means you can hold your ground. You can stand fast. And he wants you to put on the armor and be strong in order that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the methods of the devil. That's why he wants us to be strong. And that's why he wants us to be armed so that we can stand in Jesus Christ so that we are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So we don't become like those that John writes about when he says, they were not of us, because if they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. But the fact that they went out from us proves that they were not of us. They were never really born again. They were not the people of God. So he wants us to be strong and armed so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes, the methods. We're going to spend a little time on that. Here's a parallel verse, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Different Greek words, same idea. The noema, the thoughts, the purposes, the designs. So he's got methods in Ephesians 6, 11. He's got designs in 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Let me just put up a little slide, the next one, just a bunch of words. We could describe what the devil has in any of these terms, and you can probably think of more. But he's got schemes, designs, methods, here's a good word, machinations, craft, cunning, trickery, tactics, wiles, deceptions, illusions, fantasies, lies. That's the devil right there. That's who he is, and that's what he does. Jesus said he's the father of lies, and he cannot speak the truth. God is the God who cannot utter a lie. The devil is the devil who cannot speak the truth. And he's full of these things, and he's playing them out on our planet all the time. That's what we're up against. That's what we're dealing with. And that's why, he tells us, you need to be strong and you need to be armed. There's a busy devil, and he's got a big bag of tricks, and he's been working his craft for a long, long time. We're going to stay with the devil's methods for a little longer. Paul describes how they operated back in the garden in 2 Corinthians 11:4, 4, where he writes, But I'm afraid 
that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by his craft and his cunning in the garden, so you might be deceived from your pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Let's go back in the garden and look at what Paul's referring to there. Let's stay with this theme of his craft for a little longer and go back to Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty. That's how he's introduced to us. We're told from the very start, this is a crafty foe. It's a crafty devil. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Are other beasts crafty? Oh, they really are. Have you watched the birds? Have you watched the big hawk who's looking for lunch and what he does? We were watching a hawk yesterday in our backyards back in the woods. And he was crafty. But the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about our adversary. He was the most crafty thing God had made. And he played his craft to deceive Eve. And you can go back there and read it. I'll just recite it for you. He had a strategy. His strategy was, well, first, I'll, I'll question, I'll, ask, I'll get Eve to question God. Has God really said? Here's where he started his little method. And then he moved on to assigning motives to God. He's only said that because he doesn't want you to know something really good. He's stingy with the good. He doesn't want to share the knowledge of good and evil with you. And then he moves on to contradicting God. You shall not surely die if you eat that. And then she eats. And he makes the one thing forbidden look desirable when Eve saw that it was desirable. Everything else was permissible. Of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. But of that one, and it was put there as a test, that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall not surely die. This is his strategy. Part of his strategy, too, is, if you'll permit, he knew he had to get, at least I think he knew he had to get Adam to get the race. If I can get Adam to rebel, then I can get all his progeny to be fallen with him. I don't know if the devil knew that it would work that way or not, but maybe. But he knew he had to get to Adam. Why didn't he just go after Adam? Because men are more susceptible to some kinds of temptations. I'll let your mind go with that. And women are more susceptible to other kinds of temptations. I'll let your mind go with that. We're all susceptible to temptations. It's not like men stand better against the devil. No, no, just different things. And the devil knew that in, in this peculiar temptation, the best route in is let me get her first. She's a softer target. target. And once I get her, I can get him. If for no other reason, than I've seen the stars in his eyes. And I know where she goes, he'll follow because he is so enamored. Did you hear what he said when God created her? This now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He was nuts about her. The Hebrew's emphatic. And so the devil said, I know how to get the man. I know how to get the race. To get the race, I get the man. To get the man, I get the woman. I'm going after the woman. And he bamboozled Eve and she took and Adam followed. First Timothy 2.14, not up there, says, and Adam was not deceived 
But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Again, I'm not saying women are more deceivable than men. In what? In some things, women are more. In other things, men are more. Most of the great heretics in all of church history have been men. So you want to note that. But Eve went went into the thing with eyes closed. The text is emphatic. It was not just a word deceived. It's got a like an intensifying preposition in the front. Eve was super deceived. It was huper is the word. She was hyper deceived, which is interesting. Just think about that for a minute. How could that be if, if they were identical and they weren't? If they were identical, then you have the identical garden, the identical serpent, the identical tree. Everything outside them was identical. The identical experience with God so far, the identical amount of word from God. And she was deceived, but he wasn't in that kind of temptation. How can you, how can you account for that? Because men and women are different. The, the difference had to be on the inside. And she inside was not meet for this temptation as he was. And he inside would not be meet for other temptations as she would be. But this was the devil's strategy. It was a twofer deal. If I get her, I'll get him. It was a threefer deal. If I get her, I'll get him. If I get him, I'll get the race. And it worked. He's crafty. Martin Luther, we're going to close the service with this hymn today. This is from the hymn. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. Whenever I see these words, machination, craft, and all the rest, I'm reminded of fishing. So I've done my share of trout fishing. That's just, I've just been a walk up the stream and fish with a spinner. And, and I've done my share of trout fishing. It's been a while, but I remember it well. I still have three or four fishing rods and all the stuff. So you get a little spinner. And, and what's the little spinner like? That's the temptation for the dumb fish. And your spinner's got, well, it's got a flashy spinner on it that's going to spin when you're reeling it in. And it's got some feathers on there, and they kind of cover up the barbs and the hook. And you cast it out there, and you reel it past them, and they go, oh, look at that. That looks good. Gulp. Got you. That's what the devil does when he tempts you, when he tempts me. That's what he did with Eve. He took something that was forbidden and not good for her and dressed it up and made it look desirable. It's desirable to the eyes and a fruit to make one wise. It must be good. Why would God hold back from me? This is some of the devil's favorite methodology. Dress something evil up and make it look good. Make it look attractive. Declare it to be good. Like our world is doing now. Like our culture is doing now. And the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. And we sure see that. Dressing up things that are evil and proclaiming them to be good. And by the way, this doesn't come out of either text, Genesis or Ephesians 6 in particular, but I just want to mention here another one of the devil's crafty methods is definitely, definitely, definitely to get you isolated, to get you alone, to get you away from church, away from frequent, frequent gatherings, away from worship, away from fellowship, away from the people of God, away from the word of God, and then he bites you in the neck. 
If he can just get you alone. I watched a video just thinking about this this week. I watched several, but there was one really good one of two lions taking down a buffalo. That's one of their favorite meals, buffalo. And watching how they do this, you don't have one lion walking into the middle of the whole herd of buffalo and picking the biggest, baddest, meanest one and trying to single-handedly take him down. No, you have two lions, and they pick a weak one that's out on the fringes, out on the edge of the flock, and they chase him away and chase him for a while and get him tired. And then the one guy comes behind him and mounts up on the back of him and starts pulling him and dragging his feet and pulling that thing down. And then the other one gets under his neck and goes, and then they suffocate him. It might last quite a while before the suffocation is complete, but they suffocate that buffalo. They have machinations. What do they do? We're going to gang up on this, this poor buffalo. We're going to get him away from the herd where he has no help and no protection. And we're going to go for his jugular out there when he's alone. The wily devil's got that one in his playbook. Isolation. No church. No fellowship. Wear you down. Go for your jugular. We are not evil of his schemes, my brothers and sisters. Don't be alone. Be in close fellowship. Live in close proximity to the people of God and the word of God and the things of God. Because the wily devil's got that one alone in his playbook. Here's another very important insight into the devil's craft. It's from 2 Corinthians 11 where we see that the devil even masquerades as a messenger of light. Let me read it. There were in Corinth, there were in the church in Corinth, false apostles. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will, be, will correspond to their deeds." One of the places you might most run into the devil on this planet is in a pulpit, in a church that does not believe the word of God, that does not preach the word of God, that doesn't hold up Christ or the gospel, uh, this thing that used to be called uh, theological liberalism, and now it's just renamed, rebranded as progressive Christianity. That whole thing is taking the word of God out of church, taking the gospel out of church, and you've put people who are really serving the devil and following the devil in the pulpit. And you need to watch out, my brothers and sisters in Christ, because like never before, you have access to other teachers. They have access to you. It's on the World Wide Web. It's on your podcast app. And you need to be careful that whoever you pick there is holding fast to the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Because there are many deceivers out there. By the way, you want some really perceptive insights into the devil and his machinations, still on that theme. Have you read C.S. Lewis's screw tape, screw, tape, screw tape Letters? So I pulled my copy down and looked at it the other day. It's old. We got it soon after it came out, not long after. It came out in 1961. And in that, for those of you who don't know, C.S. Lewis, who was just absolutely stunningly, amazingly brilliant, writes this little book, and it's, it's all lectures or teachings that a senior demon is giving to a junior demon about how to tempt humans. And I read some of it this week and thought, I should mention it to you. It's really insightful. It's really good. It will help you. 
So once more to our verse, verse 11, before we leave it, and we read there, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's what Paul wants you to do, wants me to do. Be strong and be armed, my brothers and sisters. Be strong and be armed. Now we're going to move on in our text to verse 12, and he's going to give us more reason why this is important. For, why do you want that, Paul? Why is this important? For we do not wrestle against, and I want you to notice the word against, it's five times in this one verse. For, here's why strong, here's why armed, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is more of why it's imperative that we be strong in Christ and that we be armed with the whole armor kit of God because we're, we're in a wrestling match, we're fighting, and it's against let me just pause on that word again, since it's five times in one verse. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ faithfully, there are things and people even that you're going to have to be against. You, you can't be just this super nice person. Oh, I'm just nice. I'm just nice to everyone. I'm nice about everything. You believe that? That's nice. You want to live that way? That's nice. No, there are things you're going to have to be against. You're going to have to be against the devil and his foes, and you're going to have to be against the things that he spawns on the planet. You have to have some things that you're against. And in specific, in particular, he says, we are wrestling. This is why you need to be strong. This is why you need to be armed, because we are wrestling against an invisible, supernatural foe. So it'd be bad enough if you're fighting a visible, natural foe, and you're at war. That's bad enough. He says, oh, it's way worse than that. You are actually in a battle against, 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 an invisible, supernatural foe, the devil. There are natural foes, but this devil, he's in a whole other category. He is a supernatural foe. To illustrate this, I don't know if this is a good or bad illustration. You can all tell me later. But I'm reminded of the movie Predator. Got any other Predator fans in the room? Oh, man, I love Predator. What's wrong with the rest of you all? All right, you'll go home and look at it now and say, that wasn't any good. But it's, it's Arnold going up against a a terrestrial, a non-terrestrial, a, a other planetary creature who's traveled to our planet to hunt humans and collect their skulls. And he goes up against Arnold, and Arnold kills him in the end. It's amazing how he barely manages to do that. But it's Arnold up against a predator who has, who has cloaking and camo. He can be invisible. And you just see a little ripple in the leaves where, oh, that looked like something, and then you can't see him. He's got unbelievable power and weapons. At one point, he picks up Arnold like this by Arnold's neck and holds him up in the air. The predator. That would be quite a foe. 
But that's not a supernatural foe. That's just a creature from another place in somebody's imagination. It's worse. We're up against a supernatural foe, the devil. By the way, anybody here feel like you don't really believe there's a devil, do you? Well, it's very easy to get there. Here's how you get there. Do you believe there's a God? Oh, yes, I do. Well, if you believe there's a God, you've just left naturalism, and now you're in the world of supernaturalism. There's a God. He's supernatural. Do you think there's anything else going on in the supernatural world? Could there be good and evil over there? All right, so now we have angels elect who are holy, and now we have angels fallen who are demons, and no problem believing all that for this boy. All right, because I'm in the supernatural world. So there's a devil. A little bit about him. We know that he was created as the most exalted and beautiful and gifted being, but that pride entered his heart and he led a rebellion against God, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. We know that he's a liar and the father of lies, John 8, 44. We know that he roams as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. We know he's the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, 10. We know he is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. We know the whole world lies under his sway, 1 John 5, 19. We know the darkness of hell awaits him and his hordes. And by the way, it's about time I put something like this in here now. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. So don't be getting all beat down by this. Oh, what a foe. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can stand against this foe. This foe, more about him. He hates the church of Jesus Christ. He hates the word of God. He hates the gospel. He hates the people of God. I want you to see that. He hates us. From the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 13 and then 17. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Who's the woman? You might think that's Eve, but it's, it's Eve representing the old covenant people of God. He pursued the people of God. Verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. He's furious with followers of the Lamb. He's furious with the church of Jesus Christ. He became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's you and me. We are the rest of her offspring and all other believers on the planet down through the entire church age. And the devil's furious and goes off to make war with us, with the people of God, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I believe Jesus Christ and... I'm following him. And he, the devil, stood on the sand of the sea. The bad guys always came from the sea. And so in the vision, the devil is seen as one of those bad guys coming out from the sea, and he's standing on the sand coming to get you. And what do we have to do in these days of spiritual battles with this furious foe? Staying in the book of Revelation for a moment, Revelation 14, 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who, again, keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus. Those who keep their faith in Jesus. And because of that, evangelically, they're seeking to obey him and keep the commandments of God. They need endurance. Here's a call for the endurance or the perseverance of the saints. Persevere, dear saints. Keep on following Jesus. Keep repenting of your sins. More of Martin Luther's hymn, His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. 
one little word will fell him. There's been a lot of writing by various persons about what is that one little word? Luther doesn't tell us in the hymn. And remember, it's just a hymn. It's not, we're not exegeting the word of God here. This is Luther's hymn. So we don't know what word he had in mind, but somebody has made a pretty good case that maybe from something else that Luther wrote, maybe the word he has in mind is liar. One little word shall fell him at the end, liar. Maybe it's that, but for sure in your life, that word's a help. If Eve had just said, liar, he would have been done. She would have felled him with that one word. And if you and I would see his machinations and see what he's trying to do to you and just say, liar, I'm sticking with Jesus Christ. By grace, I'm going to seek to keep his commands. He forgives me when I fail. If we would just learn to say, liar, it might help us a lot. And in your evil day, and he's going to talk in a moment about the evil day, when the devil comes angling for your soul, if you can just see through his craft where he's saying, look at this, dumb fish. Look at the feathers. Look at the shiny spinner. Wouldn't that be good? And you just say, liar. Let's move on in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, verses 13 and the first part of 14. Therefore, he repeats himself, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That's the second time he said that. Why? Here's another purpose. He already said it. He's saying it again. That you may be able to withstand, to stand against, to oppose, to resist, to withstand, to hold your battle, to hold your ground. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're going to have to talk about what that is. What is the evil day? And having done all, the battle's over, the dust clears, the smoke blows away. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Again, stand, 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 stand. But what is, what is the evil day that you may be able to withstand in the evil day? Here's what it is. So there are days of average level temptation, there are days of normal levels of temptation. Every day has temptations. But a lot of days are like not the outstanding temptation you've ever faced. A lot of days are like normal levels of temptation. But periodically, the devil or one of his minions brings you in into a, an evil day. The evil day. There are certain days, there are critical and decisive days, days of great consequence when Satan fills the air around you with fiery darts of temptation. When Satan, the roaring lion, is now mounted up on you and trying to drag you down and going for your neck. There are days of fierce temptation, fiery temptation, vicious attacks when the conflict really heats up and it is most severe. Thank God every day isn't like that. But I, I believe some of you were probably thinking back, oh yeah, I remember that was when that happened to me. I remember when I was in that state over there. I remember when I, that was going on in my life, and it was the evil day. One commentary describes these days, quote, times of heightened and unexpected spiritual battles, end quote. There are days when Satan parks his tank 
right in front of you, aims it right at center mass, and fires and fires and fires and fires going for your soul. Let me describe some of those evil days in people's lives in Scripture. That day when the devil came to Eve, that was her, the evil day. That day when the devil came to tempt Jesus Christ, that was his, the evil day. That day when David saw Bathsheba bathing, that was David's, the evil day. That day when Job's wife, who was supposed to be his helper, teamed up with the tempter and said, curse God and die. That day was her day and maybe Job's evil day. That day when the devil came to sift Peter, that was Peter's evil day. That day in John 6, 6, 6, where it says, and on that day many went back and followed him no more. That was their evil day. And in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas hit an evil day that just led him to say, you know what, I'm done working with Paul. I'm done following Christ. I'm done suffering. I'm done believing. I like the world. I'm just going to go back and indulge myself in the world. That was Demas's evil day. Any day of fierce and focused and powerful temptation is an evil day. I'd be very surprised if many of us cannot point back to an evil day. I can point back to more than one. You want to hear about one? I'll tell you about one. So when I was in my 20s, and I was a seminary student, young 20s, and as a seminary student, you had to go preach, preferably in your church you were a part of. And I was part of a large church in Silver Spring. It's still there, still preaching the gospel, and it's much larger, and it's a great church. But in those days, it was about 400 people, which was a big church then. And so I had to go preach there on a Sunday night. So I did. I was all ready. They, before the service, they put me in a little back room. You can sit here and just you know, do what you need to do, pray, get ready, look over your notes, whatever you want to do, and we'll call you when it's time for the service to start. So I'm in that little room all alone. And the strangest thing, I've never had this before, it was actually like the room physically got dark. And I just had this powerful thing going on in me saying, you don't really believe all this, do you? You don't really want to be a preacher. Do you? you don't really want to you know, proclaim the word of God. And just this doubt, this powerful doubt came over me and the room got dark. And it was, it was weird and terrifying. And that stayed over me all the way out, all the way through the service until it was time to get up and preach. And I thought, well, I'm just going to get up and preach anyway. And it went away. That was one of my the evil days. And having done all, Paul says, to stand. Having done all, what's that mean? When the, when the, again, when the smoke clears, when the dust settles, and we can see you again, guess what? You're still standing. That reminded me of the star-spangled banner. Our flag was still there. And your evil day has come and gone, and your flag for Jesus Christ is still there. Both feet firmly planted on the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul desires. This is what he's after. This is what he wants for you. Maybe some of you right now are in the evil day. Maybe you're in a place where there's great temptation to leave off with Christ or great temptation to plunge into something that could be ruining. And there's a battle in your soul. Be strong. Be armed. Stand. 
And next week, here's what we'll take it up. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to start there next week. Let me just pause for a second and tell you, though, that Bill, I'm looking at Bill right now. He's writing notes. Good for you, brother. Or you're writing a love letter to her. (laughs) So Bill told me, he let the cat out of the bag. He's actually got the, the, the armor, like real armor, not like plastic. He's got real armor. He's got the whole suit. And I wonder, let's take a vote. How many think I should stand him up here next week in that suit? Uh-huh. Would that be cool or what? Yeah. We'll say, now the helmet. And I'll poke on the helmet a little bit. We're going to start with that suit of armor. Bill has one. You ask him about it having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and so on. Now I want to finish the sermon by just quoting a verse that I've referred to. We'll put it up for you. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's the them? Many antichrists in the world. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So be strong be armed. Let's bow and pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you by your spirit, that you by your word, that you by these means of grace might make us strong. We are weak, but you are mighty. Apart from you, we can do nothing, but we would do much for your name's sake and for the good of souls. So strengthen us with might in our inner man, we pray. May we stand after our evil day. And we ask in the name of Jesus.